This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Amen. That's a great song to prepare us for the word. Speak, O Lord. We are um, in the midst of a series called Upper Room which is on John 13 through 17, as Jesus is teaching, pouring himself into his disciples in the upper room the night before he goes to the cross. And we're in chapter 15. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John 15. Part of what Jesus is doing in the upper room is preparing his disciples for the journey that is to come. And he's preparing us for our journey of faith as well as we walk with, with him. John chapter 15, and we're going to look this morning uh, beginning at verse 18, and, uh, and then we're going to move through chapter 16 and verse 15. So John chapter 15 and beginning with verse 18, follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Jesus says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father 
has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Lord, as we dig into this text today, as, as we are, are walking the path of, of the journey that you have given us, Lord, we cannot walk that path alone. We, we desperately need your spirit empowering us, guiding us uh, in, in, in every way. And so, Lord, we, we, we pray that as we, as we talk about the journey that you have, have given us and the things that we'll face along the way, Lord, may we understand that we are not alone. Teach us to rely upon you. Teach us to walk by the Spirit, we pray. It's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. You know, I always remember the, the car ride that I took with my son on the way to his freshman year in college. And this is our firstborn. So this is our first kid that's going away to college. And so we were in uncharted territory as parents. And so we, we had to take two cars because he was moving into his dorm room and all that. So the, the, the girls are in one car. And so it's just me and my son in the other car, driving, driving up to college for his freshman year. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking through all the things that he, he is going to need to be prepared for his college journey. And so, you know, I'm going down the list, and I'm talking about study habits, and I'm talking about staying on top of things academically, and balancing things socially, and, and, and keeping spiritual things as first priority, and just kind of going through all these things. And, you know, I'm thinking about all the mistakes that I, I made as a young adult, you know, and you don't want your kids to repeat your, your mistakes. And so, you know, I'm going through all this list as, as we're going along. But even as I'm talking to him, I am becoming acutely aware of my limitations as a parent. Because there's no way that I could like get inside of his head and, and a heart and just sort of impart to him, you know, 50 plus years of life experience. I, I could not live my life through Caleb. I, I became aware that, you know what, at some point later in this day, I'm going to have to give him a hug and say goodbye and just hope and pray that 18 years of love and lessons are going to be enough to carry the day ultimately as he embarked on his journey of college. Well, Jesus here in the upper room is preparing his disciples for the journey that is to come, but here it's a little bit different. Jesus is going away. He's told them, you know, I'm, where I'm going, you cannot come now. But he also says that when I go, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And the Holy Spirit is going to be in you and with you and guiding you and empowering you and enabling you to do things like face persecution on your journey, which is where he begins here in chapter 15. That's the first thing that he tells us here. You will face persecution. Now we see that in chapter 15 and verses 18 through 25. We see it again in chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3. Let's look at chapter 15 and verses 18 and 19 first. Jesus says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you were not of the world, but I have chosen you 
out of it, the world hates you. Now, unlike the false prosperity gospel that is often preached in America these days, that following Jesus will make you healthy and wealthy, when Jesus talked to people, he said, following me may get you killed. Jesus says things like in Luke 9, 23, where he says, then he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And understand that as Jesus is talking here in the first century, a cross was not a piece of jewelry. A cross was not something that was on top of a church steeple. A cross was something that they could look up on top of hillsides and see as the Romans were executing people on crosses. A cross was an instrument of death, and everybody in that context understood it. It would be like Jesus, you know, saying or today or maybe a few years ago uh, in our context, you know, uh, take, take up your electric chair daily and follow me. A cross was a means of execution. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, it may get you killed and persecuted. And the apostles make that same point over and over and over. Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 1.8, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Here Paul is writing from prison, and he knows that one of the temptations that the believers are going to face is to kind of wimp out and, and, and not be open with their faith and not come and visit him in, prisoner because, in prison because he's in prison for his faith. And so if they go and visit Paul, then they get locked in with him and the authorities say, oh, you're going to visit him. You must be a part of his group. We'll throw you in prison as well. He knew they would face that tem- temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul is saying here, no, you need to get some iron in your blood, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Instead, do what? Share in suffering for the gospel. And how, and how can you do that? Relying on the power of God. Relying on the power of God. That's, that's the only way that we can make it through trials and tribulations in our lives is to rely on the power of God. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 and verses 8 and 9. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. And we don't know exactly what this affliction was that they faced in Asia. But it had to be incredibly severe. He says here, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death so that... We would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know where God is? He's at the end of your rope. God God is when you come to the end of yourself and you say, I just can't. And then you discover that he can. And you learn to rely on him. Now, when we talk about persecution. I, I, it's as hard to preach. I cringe when I hear American believers talk about persecution because that's a relative term. And our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world 
for them to follow Jesus. It means for many of them that at a minimum, they're going to be disowned by their family. And their prospects for future advancement in their job or culture or whatever are just going to be immediately cut off. And it might very well mean that they're going to be beaten or tortured or imprisoned or killed. And so I, I kind of cringe when I, you know, we talk about Americans being persecuted for, for our faith. Nevertheless, if you follow Jesus boldly, and if you're bold as you should be in, in speaking of the gospel and not hiding who you are in Christ, not everybody's going to like you, even here. So there's some things that we need to remember about this. I want to give you seven of them quickly. First of all, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. In Acts 26, Paul, who at that time is still Saul, he's on his way to Damascus to persecute even more believers, to have believers thrown in prison or killed. That was what he was all about at the time. And what happened to Saul? The risen Christ appears to him. And notice what Jesus says to him. Jesus doesn't say, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? What does he say? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's because Jesus is bound up with his people. And so when Christians face persecution, it's not about you. It's, it's about him. I mean, I had to learn this as a, as a pastor because I, you know, I thought coming out of seminary, you know, wow, everybody, you know, everybody's, every, everybody liked you when you did supply preaching in seminary, you know, and, I, and they seemed to like the sermons and everything, you know, this is going to, this is going to be great. And I had to, I had to understand that, that, that sometimes my very presence was a reminder to people that they were in rebellion against God. And sometimes the things that I preach were definitely a reminder to people that they were in rebellion against God. Well, guess what? People don't want to be reminded they're in rebellion against God. And sometimes they shoot the messenger. And I had to learn the lesson, you know what, this is not about you. This is about Jesus. And so we have to understand, you don't, don't take it personally. Second, make sure it's because of Christ. Jesus says in, in verse 21, but they will, they will do all these things to you on account of my name. Just make sure it's because of his name and, and not because you're acting in a way that's, um, that's not right. Third, remember it's, it's part of your calling. It's just part of the deal of, of being a follower of Christ. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Paul says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In fact, if you're never suffering any, any opposition whatsoever for your faith, like maybe you need to ask yourself, am I standing tall enough? Am I speaking about Jesus enough? Fourth, remember that it is an honor. It is the greatest honor. After being beaten savagely for their faith in front of the Sanhedrin, Acts 5.41 says that the apostles went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. For us to be associated with Jesus. <laughs> like that's the highest honor 
right? Fifth, focus on pleasing God. Just focus on pleasing God. This really simplifies life. <laughs> when you just live your life for an audience of one, it's a lot more simple. Galatians 1.10 says this, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Just, just focus on pleasing him. Six, going public with your faith is essential. Going public with your faith is essential. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, therefore everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. If you are not willing to go public with your faith and publicly acknowledge Christ, Jesus says that's evidence that you do not belong to me. If you really belong to Christ, then you will go public with your faith. Now, biblically, that begins with believer's baptism. You know, it does not begin with walking down an aisle, although there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't begin with raising your hand. There's nothing wrong with that. But those are kind of human things and human traditions and things like that. Biblically, the way that you go public with your faith is initially is by being baptized as a believer, where you stand before people and you say, I, I, I'm not ashamed to belong to Jesus, I'm not ashamed to belong to his people, and you stand there in the baptistry and you say, Jesus is Lord. In Romans 10 and verse nine, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul here is using that confession, Jesus is Lord, because that's what the early believers would confess when they were baptized. Jesus is Lord, which meant that Caesar is not. And they knew that when they made that confession, Jesus is Lord, that it was going to bring persecution upon them, as it does for many believers all around the world today, like the pastor who shared with me, about uh, being at a, a, a baptism service overseas and this teenage girl had brought her luggage to her baptism because she knew that after she was baptized she wouldn't have a home to go home to. She was being disowned. Or like the time that I was in Bangladesh and one of our workers was preparing people for baptism and one of the questions that he asked them in preparation for baptism is, are you ready to die for Christ? Around the world today, it's one thing to investigate Christianity. But when you get baptized, that's when things get real. And that's often when perse persecution descends. And, and listen, if you, know, if you think about what people go through around the world, I mean, I realize that you know, getting baptized, I mean, you're in front of, you're in front of lots of people and, and all that, and you know, that can be, being, being public like that can be a daunting thing for, for, for a lot of us, but listen, if you can't stand publicly for Christ and confess him as Lord in a situation in a church here where people are gonna applaud you for doing it, 
then how in the world can you stand for Christ out there in the world? And so going public with our faith is, is, is essential. And finally, remember that you were God's beloved child. In persecution, people might call you everything but a child of God. But be reminded that that's exactly what you are. Jesus says in Matthew 10 and verses 29 and following, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have been, all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus says you, you are one of the father's own. And he loves you. And so you can be secure in his love as you deal with any persecution that may come. So Jesus says you will face persecution. Second, you must walk in the spirit. You must walk in the spirit on your, your journey. And we see this in chapter 15 and verses 26 and 27. Again, in chapter 16 and verses 6 through 15. Let's look first of all at chapter 15 and, and verses 26 and 27. Jesus says when the counselor comes... Remember, that's, that's the Holy Spirit, right? When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Now Jesus keeps coming back in the upper room to the fact that the Spirit is going to be poured out after he ascends. And so we saw in chapter 14 and verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Again, in chapter 14, in verses 25 and 26, we saw Jesus saying, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, again, in chapter 15, in verses 26 and 27, Jesus is, is talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in, in testifying as we testify. He says, he will testify about me, and you also will testify. And so this points to the role of the Holy Spirit in bearing witness as we bear witness, in testifying as we testify. We should not be surprised by this because just before Jesus ascends, what does he say to them about the Holy Spirit? Acts 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. And so the power of the Spirit is linked to our bearing witness. As we bear witness to Christ, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness through us. As we bear testimony about Christ, the Holy Spirit, he says in verses 26 and 27 here, is, 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 is testifying as well. Now this is critical for us to understand in evangelism. 
in gospel conversations. In fact, I think we would have a lot more gospel conversations with people if we understood this. If we understood that, you know what, this is not just me having a conversation with another person. There's somebody else present here. The Holy Spirit of God is bearing witness as we bear witness. And as we'll see, it's, it's only the Holy Spirit that can bring conviction. But see, the Spirit draws people to Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. He uses people like you and me as we talk to people about Jesus. But as that happens, we are not alone. It's the Spirit that is bearing witness and, and testifying as well. Now, does that mean that every person that we talk to about Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to come to faith? No. John chapter 3 and verse 8, Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it pleases. The, the wind in the New Testament, right, is pneuma. That's the, is that spirit, the spirit of God is the wind of God, right? It's talking about the Holy Spirit here. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus says we don't control the working of the Holy Spirit in human lives any more than we control the wind. There's a sovereignty in God's Spirit and where it blows. We don't control that. What we can control is opening up our mouths and speaking to people about Jesus. That we can control. And we are commanded to do it. To do it often. To do it as much as possible. To open our mouths and boldly, lovingly tell people about Jesus. Tell them about the cross. Tell them that, that, that he took their sins upon the cross and, and, and shed his blood for them and rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life if we'll repent and believe, turn to him and trust him. We, we control, we must speak words of life. We must speak the gospel to our friends who are outside of Christ, our family members who are outside of Christ, every person that we have opportunity to share with to share. But we need to understand that it's, it's only the Spirit that can open people's hearts to respond to the gospel. I love it in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14 when, when Paul and his missionary companions are in Philippi and they go down by the river and there's a group of women that are, that are meeting there and so they share the gospel with them and what happens to a lady named Lydia? It says the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Who opened Lydia's heart? The Lord did. The Holy Spirit opened her heart. What was Paul's role? Paul spoke. He spoke the gospel. It's the Spirit that opened her heart. And it's, and it's, and it's always that way. It's always that way. The Spirit draws people to Christ. He opens hearts through the proclamation of the gospel. Who proclaims the gospel? That's our job, right? That's not, it's not just my job as a preacher. That's your job as a believer out there every day is to share the gospel with, with people. These weeks leading up to Easter, 
are a wonderful time to do that. Wonderful time to do that. As people were asking questions about well, what, is this, what does this really mean? You tell them what it really means. You invite them to come here and they can learn more about what it means. Look at chapter 16 and verse 7. Jesus makes a remarkable statement here. He says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Now this is, this is quite a statement that Jesus is making. <laughs> Jesus says, it is, it is for your benefit that I go away. Why? Because until I go away, the Spirit will not come. But we should not be surprised by this. Because what did Jesus say in chapter 14 and verse 17 about the Spirit? He says in chapter 14 and verse 17 about the Spirit, He remains with you and will be in you. And so Jesus is saying here that the Spirit inside you is better than having my physical presence beside you. Because he couldn't always be beside them. We see like in the Gospels, there were numerous times where uh, Jesus couldn't be right beside them and, and his disciples get themselves into serious trouble. <laughs> and Jesus has to show up and straighten it out. But now, what's the reality for us? What's the last thing that Jesus says before he ascends? Matthew 28 and verse 20. He says, and remember, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Why? Because he's, his spirit is with us and in us. Look at chapter 16 and, and verses 8 through 11. Jesus says that when he comes, when the spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. See, we can talk about, we can talk about sin, right? But can we bring conviction to the hearts of people that they are sinners in need of a Savior? No, only the Spirit can do that. We can talk to them about it and we must but it's only the Spirit that can bring that conviction. We can talk to people about righteousness, you know, that they need a righteousness not their own. They need a righteousness outside of themselves, the perfect righteousness of Christ to clothe them. But can we bring the conviction to their hearts? No, we can't do that. Only the Spirit can do that. We can talk to people about, about, about judgment, you know, the reality that, you know what, your, your, your life is going to end or Christ could come at any point. There's going to be a judgment. You're going to stand before God. But can we bring conviction to the hearts of people? No, that's the Spirit's role. Only the Spirit can bring that conviction. Paul makes a, a remarkable statement toward the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. He says there to the Thessalonian believers, he says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do we know that he chose you? Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. 
It's the spirit that brings conviction. Look at chapter 16 and, and verse 13. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now at this point, in the upper room, these guys have not put all the pieces together, even about what's gonna happen the next day when Jesus goes to the cross, let alone the distant future when he returns. But Jesus says that the Spirit is going to reveal that to you. He's gonna guide you into the truth. And the Spirit was going to reveal to them what eventually becomes our New Testament. And the Word guides us in the truth. Look at chapter 16 and verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, he will glorify me. Talking about the Spirit. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. So again, notice how the three persons of the Trinity work together for our salvation. This is Jesus talking here in verse 14, and he says, he will glorify me. He here is the Holy Spirit. So here's the Son saying that the Spirit will glorify me, and then he says in verse 15, everything the Father has is mine. And so Father, Son, and Spirit working together for our salvation and our sanctification. J.D. Greer is pastor of the Summit Church in Durham. He tells about when his wife Veronica was a freshman at UVA. And when she first went to college, she was not following Jesus. She'd been raised in a Christian home, but... Uh, just was, was not following the Lord really at that point. And she was invited by some of her friends to go to a, a, a retreat that was sponsored by a campus ministry. And so she went purely for social reasons. She was totally checked out when speakers were, were up there. She wasn't paying any attention to them whatsoever. Well, at the end of one of these talks, the speaker said, I, I want you to pray with the person sitting beside you, and, Ver and, and, and Veronica, uh, J.D.'s wife, wanted to crawl into a hole at that point. She hadn't even been listening to anything the guy had said, and she certainly didn't feel like praying. Well, the girl that was sitting beside her, one of, another college student, Veronica had never met before. She did not know this girl. But this girl starts praying for her. And as this girl is praying, is praying, the Spirit is, is guiding her, is giving, giving her words to, to pray. And she's, pray, she's praying for the very fears and struggles and sins and things that are happening in Veronica's life. And Veronica doesn't even know this girl. But this girl was just obedient to pray and, and God was supernaturally guiding her prayer it's the Holy Spirit and Veronica left the meeting that night immediately just just deeply disturbed but also deeply aware that she had been in the presence of the living God and she went back to her dorm room and that night 
she re-embraced the, the forgiveness and the love of Christ and a prodigal daughter was, came home to her heavenly father. One of our workers in France who works with North African people in France told me this story. There was a Muslim background believer, a young man who's a Muslim background believer, he's coming out of Islam. And he had been disowned by his family when he followed Christ. His whole family had disowned him except for one sister. And this sister was a very conservative Muslim. But she stayed in relationship with her brother purely for the sole reason of, of winning him back to Islam. And so he and his sister would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in conversation, spirit, spiritual conversations. And to the point that his Muslim sister felt within her that her Islamic faith was weakening. And she was scared. And she told her brother, she said, I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. We'll meet, but that will be my final conversation with you. I will never talk with you again. That night, the young, the young follower of Jesus was reading his Bible, and he's reading the Gospel of John, and he comes to chapter 14 and verse 6 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he underlines it in his Bible. The next morning, he meets his sister, and she's agitated. He asks her what's wrong. She said, last night I had a dream. And there was a man in clothes whiter than you can imagine who's calling out to me. And he's saying to me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Who was it? And this young man pulls out his New Testament and opens it to John 14, 6, where he has underlined it the night before. Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His sister removed her veil, her, her Islamic veil that moment, removed her veil, was baptized later that same day, and eventually she won her whole family to the Lord. And there's a, there's a church in that village for the first time in 1,500 years. Now that is the spirit. Those, those stories are about the spirit glorifying Christ so that people see Jesus and it can embrace his forgiveness and love and be brought to the Father. It's the triune God working through believers, though. Because in both of those instances, what do you have? You have the triune God doing his work in the lives of people, Father, Son, and Spirit, 
but you've got believers who are willing to be used. You've got a, you've got a young college student who is willing to speak up and to pray and let the Spirit work through her in that. You've got a brother who is willing to be disowned for the faith and to share the gospel with his family and with his sister. And the Spirit can use you as you're willing to open your lips and share with people the good news of the gospel of Christ that they can be brought to the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how Father, Son, and Spirit all work together for our salvation. And we we thank you that you're willing to use people like us who will simply be obedient to you. That to bear witness and to know that you will bear witness through us. To testify and know that you also testify. Lord, may we be faithful to do that. May we be lovingly bold in doing that. In talking to people about Jesus. Our friends, our lost family members. Lord, may we be faithful to pray for them. Because we know that only the Spirit can ultimately bring conviction to their hearts. Lord, may we be faithful to pray for people and share the gospel. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.